there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a minute before your podcast starts to talk about something very important to me. Black Lives Matter. I, Sarah Strumming, am committed to anti-racism and the companies that I oversee, the Cognitive Canine and Cogdog Radio, are also committed to anti-racism. I recognize my privilege here and I recognize that I have a platform where I can use my voice and I intend to do so in such a way that combats systemic racism because it absolutely affects the field of dog training and it's time that everybody with a platform uses it for good. I'm gonna link a list of resources for ways that you can support black, indigenous, and people of color and also just some educational resources that I've found helpful in my anti-racism journey And I hope that we can all stand together to dismantle racism in dog training and therefore in the world. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And if we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. Hey friends, I've got a Patreon question episode for you. There's so many of them that I still hadn't answered from August that I decided to throw them all into one episode. So here we go. The first question comes from Carrie. Carrie writes that she's got a border collie who she says is lovely and generally very calm, but the problem comes when they interact with other dogs. So the other dogs Uh, send her border collie wanting to run. She says she's been asking him for a down, thinking of this as an incompatible behavior with running, which is true, it is. And she wants to know if that's the right thing to do or if I've got any other advice or suggestions. And Carrie, most border collies, or I guess my border collies, um, do also tend to want to run with other dogs. So they don't necessarily, if they're running away from other dogs, I'm concerned, and you didn't really specify, If they are simply wanting to sprint with the other dog, that's a really common kind of play style for the breed because they don't play like other dogs do as far as, you know, a lot of physical body contact and things like that they're not really interested in. They like to sprint. I would say that um, if this is a problematic behavior for you, you should utilize a long line and a harness while you work on your recall. Asking for a down, a down is incompatible, but when we are replacing another behavior, we really need the new behavior to serve the same function for the dog as the old behavior, otherwise it's not gonna be sustainable. And a down definitely does not serve the same function as running. 
Um, and so that's probably why you're having some issues with that. So for me with my dogs, they're allowed to run with other dogs if I have released them and if they come back. So I teach them the release and I teach them the recall and then nothing else is a huge problem. If I didn't answer your question, I maybe don't understand it. So you can definitely come back into Patreon and give me some more details and I will try to answer it the best that I can. Next one's from Elisa who wants to know how to address FOMO, that's fear of missing out, with her puppy. Elisa writes, the FOMO occurs if I take my other dog on a walk without him, him being the puppy, or take my other dog downstairs to train in the basement. Even if my husband is with him, he will cry and pace around. I can get a short amount of calm and quiet if I give him a food toy when I take my other dog to train, but nothing can keep him busy when I leave to walk her. I do my best to avoid the FOMO behavior by putting him outside as much as I can when I train my other dog, but it's not a sustainable year-round solution. Sometimes even when he is asleep in his crate, he'll wake up and whine if he hears me going downstairs to train her. He does fine if he is crated and he hears me take her to the car with me, but I only do that when he's tired and ready to sleep. Any advice on how to address the FOMO while still giving my other dog the training and exercise time she needs? And then Elisa added an update, which is that a specific type of frozen Kong does keep the puppy occupied. So it has to be a really disgusting Kong um, for humans, and the puppy really does like that. She also says, um, I also discovered his he's very chill if I crate him off to the side while I work with my other dog. She looks like, uh, so it looks like I might have two good options. So that's good, Elisa, but let's talk about this a little bit further because number one, they do have to learn to cope with you doing stuff with the other dog. But number two, you're correct. They don't learn to cope by freaking out and having these um, whining and pacing and vocalizing behaviors. Puppy stuff is a tightrope that we are walking. It is a fine line. It is not easy. And it is a constant observation of behavior and then adjustment of our actions. I know this because I'm fostering a puppy right now. I'm raising a puppy for a family member. And it's the first time that I've personally had a puppy in about five years, though we've had a couple of puppies in our household. I'm really reminded of the fact that FOMO is real. We need to avoid it. We need to use happy crating principles. And we also need to tolerate a little bit of fussing when the puppy is uncomfortable or upset because they will be sometimes. I like that you have a lot of solutions here and I would just continue to encourage you to utilize those solutions and really focus on your antecedents. Make sure that your puppy has had all of his needs met before you go train the other dog. And then a little bit of fussing, like the whining and pacing if you leave him with your husband, I'm not gonna be concerned about. And I am also going to be sure that I don't return to the area that he's in while he's still acting like that. So I would give him a boring chewy and a bed to lay on and say, these are your choices and mommy's more likely to come back if that's what you are choosing. So I hope that was a little bit helpful too on top of the other smart things that you are doing. The next question is from Tara, and it's a really long question, so I'm actually just going to ask the, I'm gonna read the first part of it and answer that. Um, and then Tara, of course, if you're still confused about this subject, ask me again in Patreon and I will clarify. The question is, when you are adding duration to a behavior, what are the pros and cons of using a duration marker versus just continuing to feed the behavior? 
And I did do a Wednesday night chat on duration behaviors that's available on my Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash the cognitive canine. And if you just click the videos tab there, you can find all of the Wednesday night chats. So Tara's question has to do with using a duration marker versus just feeding. So let me clarify what kind of those two options are. The first one, using a duration marker, would be using a cue that tells my dog, stay there, I'm bringing you the food. Okay, so for me, that word is good, which is terrible, and my next dog is going to be something else. Um, but I say good, and then walk up and feed. And I teach my dog separately that they should wait for me to feed them if I said that word first. And I definitely have other context cues when I teach this behavior. And I teach it in an errorless format. So I teach it without banking on the dog going for the food. So I'm always trying to get the dog the food before they make a mistake. So you can do that. You can reinforce duration behaviors like a sit stay or a down stay or a nose target with your duration marker cue or you can just feed or you can use a terminal marker so you didn't bring up your third option Tara you have a duration marker a just feed the dog and then the third option is using a terminal marker which a terminal marker is a marker that just ends the behavior so it's kind of a more it's a more classic marker signal meaning you know maybe it's a click and that means move towards food and I've already taught my dog that. So those are kind of your three options and I would use my duration marker when I intend for this to behavior to not end in kind of an explosive release. If I want this behavior to just kind of be calm and steady, I'm going to use my duration marker for it. If the dog can actually take the food while still doing the thing, because if you're trying to feed your chin rest or your nose target with a duration marker, you're screwing up your chin rest and your nose target, or you're screwing up your duration marker because the dog can't actually eat and maintain those behaviors at once. And if you think, you say, oh, Sarah, my dog can, um, no, the dog is probably no longer meeting my criteria for the behavior once they eat. They maybe are meeting yours, but probably not mine. So I would always use a terminal marker for something like that, that the dog can't actually receive reinforcement while they are still doing it. I would just feed if I actually am just kind of intending to build a contextual behavior that I probably won't feed in the future. So um, station behaviors, I tend to just feed on the station and not mark. That has to do with the fact that like these little neurons fire when you mark and I don't want any neurons firing. I want peace, calm, stay on the station, steady behavior. If I want an explosive release out of it, the, out of it or if I want the dog ready and poised for the next thing, I'm gonna start with that terminal marker instead. If I'm trying to train multiple dogs at once, and I don't want to use their name as a marker because I don't want them to move towards the food, then I just feed. So Tara, if that didn't help, go ahead and post again over in Patreon. Suzanne asks, not the most technical question, but what resources do you go to when training contacts? Um, and she mentions that she's got an array of issues and also doesn't have regular access to contact obstacles. 
You're right. It is a really generalized question. Um, I tend to kind of train contacts different with every dog, so I don't actually have a formula as of yet. I will plug my friend Megan Foster's classes, and I know she's got a teeter class uh, coming up, and I really like her teeter program, and that's on Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. So Megan's teeter program would be something. There are also really fabulous online running contacts courses right now. Uh, the one on Camther Canine with uh, Ewan Patterson is is great. I've watched my partner Leslie work through that class, and I will link Camther in the show notes as well as Fenzie where you can find Megan. But essentially, there's a lot of really great resources. Tammy Moody also has a great two-on-two-off class that she trains with a travel plank, and she teaches that on Clean Run. You guys, I will link all of these things in the show notes. You shouldn't need regular access to equipment if you are laying the correct foundation. And the correct foundation can be hard to find, but with online training now, the right foundation is out there and you definitely, you can definitely seek it out. Next question comes from Jennifer. Not a question, but rather a comment. Oh, I always appreciate these comments. So this is just a shout out. Jennifer said that the, uh, my conversation with Chelsea Protulapak was really impactful for her. She says the convo regarding scent articles um, was just exactly what I needed to hear after a not so great agility session. So I'm so happy, Jennifer, that our conversation about an obedience exercise helped you to feel better about agility training. That's, that's what I'm after is that good training is good training. Um, regardless of your sport. And Jennifer also mentions, thank you both both for the reminders and fresh perspective on ending on a good note. And so if you missed that episode, let me just tell you that there's kind of this myth that we should always end on a good note and we should always end on a correct repetition. And it's just not true. It's actually, scientifically speaking, probably smarter to end on a bad repetition because ending training tends to act as a punisher for our dogs. Okay, switching gears, Elizabeth says, "Um, I'd love to get your input on dog swimming. My 18 month old Golden loves water but is uncertain about going deeper where she can't touch. She also can get nervous with things moving under her feet while board rocker, et cetera, and we're working on that separately. On hikes, she runs and splashes in creeks and lakes, lays down to get cool, and seems to like dunking her head and blowing bubbles. If if another dog is with us and goes swimming, she'll wade in as far as she can touch and just watch them swim. We've taken a few swimming lessons where the instructor has me in a pool with a toy, moving and splashing it to try to entice her to get in. My pup stands on the ramp up to her shoulders, paws the water, and stretches as far as she can with her feet, still touching to get the toy but won't go farther. During the last session, she was barking more than usual, and I just didn't feel great about the level of frustration that I was seeing. Do you have any thoughts about other methods to teach dogs to swim? Or is this something I should shelve for a while? Elizabeth, I'm really glad you asked. I'm really, really big on allowing dogs to make that choice to swim, so to go further than where they can touch the bottom. It's a big deal to me that they get to make that choice on their own and I like to provide them with a lot of opportunities to make that choice because it's important to me that my dogs at least know how to swim even if they don't like to swim. It sounds like your dog really likes water and being a golden that's no surprise and I think your dog can like swimming 
But what I would do is, first of all, I would stop going to swimming lessons. Um, that does sound like you're just kind of enticing her to do something that she doesn't want to do with some reinforcers that she really wants. And you will build frustration. And I think you kind of undermine trust as well when you say, I know this is scary to you, but look how fun it is, right? I, I think that that's not cool. I think they don't like that. I think we don't like that. Other dogs are the best teachers for this. So I tr try to take them out swimming with other dogs who know how to swim. And they see how much fun the other dogs are having. And then most of them, if they're going to be swimmers, get out there and go swimming with the other dogs at some point. Um, and it's, it tends not to be a big deal. I think that I've got a couple of dogs who don't really love swimming, but they love to play fetch. So if you throw the toy in the water, they'll go get it in the water. Whether or not you care about that is kind of, you know, up to you. I want them to show me that they like doing it just for the sake of doing it before I ask them to do it a whole lot. So like Iggy, for instance, does not like to swim, but she does like to get in water when it's hot and she will lay down in it just like you're talking about and get cool, but she does not like it when her feet don't touch the bottom. And so who am I to say that she has to and who am I to say that um, she should that she should feel comfortable with that. She is comfortable, she can do it. And she showed me that when I swam out into a lake and she decided she would come with me. And that's good for me to know, but she's just not a dog who's gonna jump in and go swimming and that's okay with me. Most of my dogs will jump in and go swimming, but mostly it's about toys. The other thing you can do is throw some treats that float. And I would just throw a big scatter of them so that the dog can make the choice. They can, there are plenty of them where you can touch your feet to the bottom and you can eat those. But the other cool thing with water is that it kind of tends to float the treats further and further. And so as the dog is gathering up the treat scatter, they might not touch for a second, eat a cookie, then go back to the surface. And I watch my dogs kind of work this out. And a lot of my dogs get a little more comfortable with swimming that way because they're just, they can gradually kind of ease into it. So. Give that a try and also give her some more time and definitely let us know how it goes. All right, this one comes from Lena. Hi, Sarah, I'd love help with, with when dogs approach strange people but really don't want to say hi. I understand the function of my dog's behavior to check them out. So meaning Lena's understanding of the dog's behavior is that the dog wants to investigate the person. Uh, but when the people start talking to him, he freaks out. How can I help him with replacing this behavior of approaching to another? I've listened to your cases and understand that the best way to replace the behavior is to think of the function of the behavior, but I can't get my head around this one. Like when we have a guest home, for example. All right, Lena, great question. So number one, when dogs make bad choices, so when they cannot be trusted to make choices that are safe for them, it is our responsibility to step in and make other choices for them. You know I'm big on choice. You know I'm big on letting the dog make you know their own decisions, not when their decisions are going to get them into trouble. So dogs that do this, and there are dogs that do this with other dogs too. And I can't actually say what the function is because I can't see that the dog has got, has gathered information about the person. So rather than talking about this in kind of an operant conditioning mindset and talking about it in an applied behavior analysis con uh, mindset, I'm going to talk about it like this. I'm going to say that curiosity always lives under fear. So I think your dog is probably afraid of people, but there's enough curiosity in there that 
they want to, the dog wants to go investigate. When it is a person that you cannot instruct to ignore the dog and trust that they will follow your instructions, you need to instruct the dog not to go say hi. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I teach my dogs, it's a cue, it's literally not now, which means stay by me, do not go see that thing, whatever it is. It's usually people or another dog. So teach your dog that cue, not now, and it goes like this. They look at a person, you say not now, they look at you, you feed them, you keep walking. (laughs) It goes like that. It's basically pay attention to me at the cue of a person appearing. So I would do that, I would teach that to your dog, I would make the decision for your dog when you know he can't make the right one on his own. And then when the people are safe and you can say, hey, can you just pretend my dog is invisible? 100%, do not look at him, do not talk to him then he's allowed to investigate. And I would do that as much as you can. Next one's from Elisa. Do you crate your dogs out of your car? If so, what is your crate setup like? Do you cover the crates? I'm working on car crating skills and I've been leaving the crate covered except for the front. But now I'm thinking maybe I should be covering the whole thing to minimize visual noise and promote more relaxation. Yes, I do crate my dogs out of the car for dog shows pretty much religiously. I rarely crate them in buildings. I have an Illuminate sunshade that covers my entire van. It's huge. And so I just cover the entire van with that. And then I have fans, uh, Ryobi fans that operate inside. If I have a barky dog, I cover that dog. I don't cover them as a rule though. I want them to have, to be able to kind of take in where they are because they're still going to be able to smell and see through any kind of cover that you give them. And so I want them, you know, the Illuminate provides kind of enough visual barrier without completely blocking out all um, visual input. So we just recently went to an agility trial. It's been the, the first one since the beginning of the year. It's actually my first one since February. And Felix was barking in the car. Dog was walking by, which was pretty new. I mean, he really didn't used to do that. So I went ahead and just attached a towel to the front of his crate only because that was the highest traffic point for the car uh, because the back hatch was open. And then so the Illuminate plus just a towel on Felix and we were good. We had a quiet car. So things like that. So I wouldn't cover as a rule. The fans, though, do cut down on noise and then the Illuminate cuts down on visual stimulation. And I pretty much use the Illumina even if it's not sunny. In the Pacific Northwest, there's plenty of times it's not sunny um, because it really does help keep the car, you know, open, fresh, airy, but without a lot of visual stimulation. All right, Alyssa asks, my young dog guards my bed as a resource. Oh, naughty. (laughs) My deaf senior dog cannot hear her warning growl when he approaches the bed and it escalates into a scuffle. Ugh, you're speaking my language. It's happening in my house. Is there training to be done with the younger dog or just management? 10 years ago, we'd say the young dog loses access to valuable things like the bed, but I don't see how that translates to learning to share. 10 years ago, we'd probably be talking about establishing a hierarchy amongst amongst the dogs. Yeah, you're totally right. 10 years ago, we might be having a different conversation. Management is the route that I would go, especially depending on how senior the senior dog is. So in my case, the senior dog is 14 years old, is deaf, probably wouldn't care about the growling even if he could hear it um and we just manage the two dogs are not allowed to access the same bed at the same time and the older dog has gotten to a point where jumping on the bed is kind of too physically hard for him so it's not as much of a problem anymore 
I'm gonna be very honest with you, in the moment, if the dog is guarding the bed, there's nothing wrong with kicking them off of it. There's nothing wrong with saying, well, guess you can't be up here anymore. But I would, I would manage, especially depending on how senior the senior dog is. You know, if this is something you're gonna manage for a year or two, and then not, not have the problem anymore because of you know, the organic process of life, then that's one thing. But if the senior dog is nine and you're expecting another, you know, six or seven years out of this dog, then then you might take a more training approach. And in that sense, I would tell the other dog what to do instead. But management would probably be part of your life forever, regardless. Okay, next one's from Jana. Let's see. First, thank you so much. Your podcast and Wednesday night chats already helped me and Nacho a lot. Excellent. I pay check-ins and I go on a lot of decompression walks on a long leash now. We can do it now without hitting the end of a 10 meter leash all the time because Nacho decided that speed up towards me is much more fun. Excellent. Also, he is sniffing and just enjoying the walk most of the time now. That is so fabulous. I'm so glad to hear. I practice recalls, remedial socialization, and desensitization with other dogs a lot. And yesterday I listened to your chat about not chasing wildlife, which made me take two huge pieces of stinky cheese on my walk today just in case. Way to go, Jana. Fantastic. On our walk, a deer appeared ahead and Nacho was around seven meters away from me and froze. I recalled him and he turned right away and came running to me. We had a cheese party. A cheese party for Nacho? That is so perfect. After that, Nacho was still very excited and interested in the place the deer had passed in. And I feared that he might want to go look for it. But I didn't want to limit his movement with the leash because I feared to punish the awesome recall. So what I did was distracting him with play and invitations to chase me, basically running past the spot where we saw Bambi like crazy people. I did. I think I did good as far as not run, ruining the Great Recall, but I wonder if there are better options. I guess there is no learning concerning not chasing wildlife present if I only distract him from it. You know what, Jana? I love this message. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, way to go. I'm so impressed with all the training that you've done and the huge changes that you've made in Nacho's life. I think you handled this perfectly. I think you were so smart to say, you know, I don't want you to go chase the deer. So I'm going to just be more fun than the deer. And then once we're past, you can go back to your walk. I think you nailed it. And I think learning did occur because if you think that Nacho couldn't smell that deer as you guys played and ran past the area, you're wrong. Nacho was definitely aware that where the deer had gone and chose to play with you instead and you reinforced that. And I'm just gonna say huge high five, way to go. Okay, this one's from Joy. I have a question for you about dogs in quarantine. Is there any way to replace what dogs get from a weekend of competition without a weekend of competition? My younger girl, Sorella, has definitely been showing more anxious stress behaviors as quarantine drags on and we continue to not have fly ball tournaments. Even after an off-leash decompression walk or training session, she's still showing some low-grade signs of anxiety and a need for more than she's getting right now. She truly loves competing and gets a very clear competition high in the ring and I think the lack of that is getting harder for her to cope with as time goes on and it will be at least 2021 before we have a tournament again. Any tips beyond more and varied exercise keeping her learning new things in training and decompression walks? Thanks. Well tips beyond that I'm not sure but truth be told this is happening and the reason it's happening is because we aren't aware of how how important it is to our dogs to have an entire weekend or day 
with us doing dog stuff. And we tend not to do that unless we're competing. So we might do a little training session, we might go on a walk, but an entire weekend with the dog actively doing stuff um, is different. And it, I applaud you for noticing that she's having some anxiety behaviors at home and for pinpointing that this is probably why. And it is probably why. So the answer kind of sucks, but because you already know what the answer is, which is you have to do more of all of the other things to make up for the lack of that thing. Personally, do not think that dogs know the difference between a competition or a match or a class or whatever. Like, certainly they see that the contexts are different. But, like, I would say that Iggy was a different dog at a national because the energy was different, but I wouldn't say that Iggy misses nationals, if that makes sense. Basically, I'm going to say that what you're calling this competition high is probably shared between you two and probably is about getting that huge adrenaline dump multiple times over the course of a weekend of a fly ball tournament and she's missing that. So I'd be thinking, how can I replace that with some kind of very high energy, very, you know, physically demanding, mentally demanding activity? Most dogs need less physical demand, less mental demand. Border Collies thrive on it, right? And I know Joy, so I know Sorella is a Border Collie. And so I would be thinking, what else can I do for her? You know, can you do a mock tournament with just your club and another club, right? With masks on and distancing. I don't know if that's allowed or not. Can you, um, can you take her and, you know, run her up and down a beach? Does that help? Explore other things because like you said, this is, this is your life for the near future. And so more and varied exercise is true. Keeping her learning new things is true. Decompression walks for sure also. But this is one of those rare instances where I might say, and where can she get an adrenaline dump? Do I need to throw a chuck it ball on a beach? You know, something like that. And oh my God, I can't believe I just said go throw a chuck it ball on a beach. But um, try to find things that replace that for her. And it may just be that she needs to be that level of tired. It may be that nothing makes her, nothing makes her as tired as two days of fly ball and, or three days even, and you're, you need to find something else that does. So that's what I would encourage you to do, Joy. All right, last one comes from Susan. Question about dog park TV. We've just started really getting into this and will park outside a park with lots of distance. I find I start getting the head up relaxed check-in after some staring at the dogs rather quickly into the session, like 30 seconds to a minute. Would you then end the session, take a quick break in the car? If I, I find if I praise and stay still, she will sometimes break for a sniff or start offering me behaviors. The longer I stand, she will look again at the dogs. However, sometimes I then get barks, not explosive, but hey, there's dogs running over there, barks. And then she immediately checks in again. If I start her closer or go closer after the first check-in, I find food eating stops and barking happens faster. So I believe we're in the right spot. Do I quit while we're ahead and have lots of short sessions? Am I too close since barking does eventually happen? Trying to find the happy medium. So 
Good question. And this is, you know, the benefit of working one-on-one with a trainer because in the moment I could tell you exactly what to do. Um, but that's not available to either of us <laughs> right now. And what you're describing is a dog that's like, yeah, okay, we're here. I'm bored now. A couple of changes I would make. One is you're mentioning food. There shouldn't really be any food involved with Dog Park TV. In order for this to be an actual desensitization exercise, it should not involve food. So I would say, how far can we walk along the fence line of the park at this distance? And that's what we're gonna do. So you're just gonna keep moving. Keep walking back and forth. I want sniffing. I don't want offered behaviors, but I do want sniffing and observing. Because sniffing is observing for dogs. I think what's happening is dogs getting bored and saying, why are we here and why aren't you feeding me? When I want the dog to just to be experiencing that boredom when it comes to other dogs rather than you as this kind of primary focus point. So I would not be feeding at all. And I would be just walking back and forth, letting the dog sniff, let the dog go closer, then move away a little bit. You know, anytime the dog barks at other dogs, that's definitely a clue that we've done something wrong here. But it's not the end of the world, especially we're talking about a collie and they tend to be very vocal. So it may also just be, I'm a collie, I'm bored, I'm going to bark about it. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> so if you, if you are at the right distance, which it does sound like you are, stay at that distance, but move as much as you can and um, encourage that sniffing. And so I hope that helps. All right, you guys, that's it. If you want to be a patron, you want to, you know, add your questions, definitely jump in on that conversation. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.